Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guests and in no way represent the state of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Historical Society, or the Oklahoma State Historic Preservation Office. Hey everybody, it's Editor Jack from the Future. About five minutes before I was scheduled to record this episode with Andrew, the sun coming in my window was just too much and I was trying to put something over it to uh, block it so that Andrew could view me on the camera as we were, you know, meeting over Zoom. And I inadvertently knocked over my tower and try as I might, I could not get it to work correctly with Zoom for whatever reason. And I didn't want to take up all of Andrew's time. And so I ended up just moving the Zoom and recording it off my laptop. I have no idea why, but my laptop did not record it with decent sound. Uh, it, it took me quite a bit of work to get it to where it is now. And due to the nature of uh, what Andrew's talking about, I just did not feel that it would be fair to him. Uh, to ask if we could re-record it. So I do apologize uh, for that. I I appreciate everybody uh, for sticking around and listening. Uh, thanks a lot. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. So... Today, I'm going to go ahead and give a real quick sort of a content slash trigger warning. I am talking with Andrew, and um, there are probably going to be some parts that might be a smidge difficult to listen to because Andrew went through something that is pretty insanely traumatic, uh, the injuries that he sustained, but he's going to tell us about it, and I... I'm honored uh, that he chose to uh, come on my podcast to talk about it. So, um, Andrew, how's it going, Jack? Say hi, and I'm I'm going I'm doing fine. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, yeah, we we met under sort of weird, not normal circumstances. <laughs> we 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 met because of injury. If you've listened to the podcast, you know that my daughter. Uh, was involved in a fire, and I went on a Facebook group for uh, burn survivors and their family members. And I had just sort of commented about my daughter and where she was in the with the burn unit she was in. And Andrew commented, "Hey, I was in that same burn unit," <laughs> and uh, we sort of ended up just becoming Facebook friends because of that. But Andrew had some pretty pretty significant uh, injuries from the the fire. In, you know, the burns that he suffered and um, he's going to sort of tell us about it because uh, somebody who has gone through that, I don't care if it was, you know, just their forearm, their calf or from the shoulders down, the sheer amount of pain <laughs> that somebody experiences after that. I, I don't even know if English has proper words to describe, <laughs> to describe it. And Burn recovery is probably almost as bad and maybe worse sometimes than the actual being on fire part of it. So that is for sure. That is definitely true when it comes down to it. Your body does a lot of things during the initial accident to block those signals of pain and keep you alert. And, you know, a lot of times, too, it does a lot to block out the actual initial accident itself. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, why don't you go ahead and just sort of start from the beginning, how you uh, had your accident and, and just sort of that. And I'm just going to sit here and, and let you uh, let you tell your story. Yep. So as you know, my name is Andrew, um, a.k.a. Dad pulled to my kids and everybody else around me now. Uh, that is an excellent uh, nickname. Oh, thank God to Ryan Reynolds. I yes. got the I got the Deadpool arms. I'm just missing the Deadpool ass, unfortunately. <laughs> Doctors could not do that for me. But uh, my accident is I'm about 19, almost 20 months out now. Um, my accident happened in June of 2021. 
It was here in Colorado. It was a work-based accident where a fire had started, small structure fire had started, where there was propane tanks. One of the hoses to the propane tanks had gotten melted through and leaked into the into the room. It was a 30 pounds worth of propane. Um, I basically went to go investigate the smoke. I walked into the room and said, hey, I need to grab a fire extinguisher in my head and immediately explosion. It was uh, me being surrounded in a ball of fire. Literally, I remember closing my eyes, put my head down and put my hands in front of my face. And I heard the, I felt the boom. I heard the boom and the door shut slammed behind me from the initial explosion itself. As soon as it happened, I turn around and get out of the room and I go to grab the doorknob. And that's when I realized both hands just had skin hanging off almost to the point where it was like wearing surgical gloves with water in them and they sag off. That's what my hands were doing. And I'm just glad that I was still coherent enough to get myself out of the room. Right. I uh, get yeah. myself outside. And my first immediate thought was, are you still on fire? And I, I you know, I thought I was going to be on fire more when I was growing up for as much as they had us practicing stop, drop and roll. So I'm glad that if I got to use it for once, okay, not glad, but I'm glad I knew what to do. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, no, I understand. I, I, yeah. I, I understand. That too. Exactly. But yeah, I get outside and I think God was still not on fire. It was uh, pretty much like a flash explosion uh -huh. from the mixture of oxygen and the propane in the air. I went to go dial 911, could not do it. was trying to use my mouth and my tongue at the time because I was the only one on the job site. Uh. There happened to be a house across the street where the neighbor heard me yelling for help. And she came and helped me and helped get 911 there for me and the ambulance and the fire trucks. And I just remember being more worried about the structure fire than I was myself. Right. I knew I knew I was burned. I had seen myself in the mirror on the truck. I knew that all my hair was gone. My facial hair was gone. No eyebrows. Um, my hands were the obvious injury point to me. But I didn't realize how bad the rest of my body was right um of course selling with it it was my humor set in right away it was my coping with the badness of what had happened so as soon as i get in the ambulance i did make a reference i guess mexicans don't smell like burnt beans do they <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's the dark humor i've come to expect <laughs> oh yeah that too <laughs> It, it, you know, it's dark humor, but in the same sense, it's it's lightning for us. It's light, you know. It's yeah. it helps get us through, and it it was helping me cope right away through what was going on because my adrenaline was just nonstop going. Any idea how long it was from the time the the person across the street dialed nine one one to the fire department and the ambulance getting there? Just out of curiosity, I, I don't off the top of my head know how long it took, but it was fast. Because in that moment, it, 10 seconds was feeling like 10 minutes time. But I, I just remember the fire department getting there so freaking fast. They they beat the ambulance to the actual um, site of the job where it had happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was of the same accident. thing. accident. The fire department got there before the ambulance did. Yeah. I, I, the most, the hardest part during that, it wasn't initially being burned and coming out. It was walking 75 yards from the initial place where I got burned only in my underwear because that was all that was left and, and my socks and my shoes on me and um, I had to walk 75 yards burned as hell to the ambulance and I walked myself in and got in they weren't able to get close because of the fire that was still going inside yeah yeah so obviously one of the first things they're going to want to do is get an IV so they can start giving you the good stuff were they able to find the spot? Did they have to like put the IV in your foot or your head or something? Just because? No, that's where I. That's when I started realizing how bad it was because they were saying they could get an IV in anywhere because my arms were burned, my chest was burned, I was burned everywhere except for my general area where my underwear were. I was not. Yeah. I guess if something's not going to get burnt, that's the uh, the area you don't want to. Uh... <laughs> oh, I'm. <laughs> Like I used to tell people, I got a four-month-old daughter. You know where I didn't get burned. So. That's right. <laughs> and I'm glad I didn't. I did not want my buns toasted, thank goodness. Because, yeah, that they, they needed somewhere to pull the skin from. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah. But I it, there was initially, 
40 minutes between the time that my accident happened when I called 911 and when I made the phone call to Kendra right before they intubated me at University Hospital at Anschutz. So you're not too far then from uh, Anschutz then, I guess, if it was about 40 minutes. I know you live... I live an hour and a half north of Anschutz. So did they fight you there? Yeah, so they flied me. They flew me there from Westminster, is where the accident happened, where I was working. And Westminster, Colorado, is about a forty-five minute drive. It depends, but they actually took me to Longmont, Good Samaritan, in Longmont first. And they're like, I remember them saying that he's really bad. You got to call the other place, and they're telling me, "All right, you're going on a helicopter ride." And I remember the helicopter ride to University, uh, screaming in pain when the sun was hitting me because that was just that was agony that was horrible especially being in the helicopter and coming off the roof but um i still remember the nurse that helped me laura um i'll just stick to her first name laura handed me my phone and said is there anybody that you want to call right first before i shove this tube down your throat because then you're not going to be able to talk she's like they should have intubated you already and i was like um all right i was like yeah i need to call my girlfriend and I know if Kendra was here, she'd be able to, she still to this day talks about it. She's like, the calm in your voice, I had no idea how bad your accident was. Because I called her calm and said, hey, I had an accident at work. They're about to show this tube down my throat and give me some medicine and I'm not going to be able to talk. I love you. I'll see you soon. She was already at the hospital. She was already there. She had driven fast from Greeley to get to where I was at. So. Yeah, no yeah. Yeah. She goes, I'm here already. I'm on the elevator. And she's like, can I see? And I was like, nah, I don't think so. And that was the last time we talked for two weeks until I woke up. Yeah. I was, that's, that was my next question. Did they put you in a medically induced coma? And it sounds like they did for obviously good reasons, but yeah. And they put you right on the edge of a induced coma. So I can recall. My family showing up and then playing music and me dancing my feet around. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And so, like, there was times where I was moving and I was trying to like sit up and trying to get up within those two weeks. But it was really, it took really two weeks for me to get out of that daze and be able to react and you know finally realize where I was at because I don't think I realized I was in the hospital before that. Yeah, yeah. So obviously. Because, you know, a lot of the skin grafting surgery would have been in the, the first two weeks. Where, what part of your body were they able to get the donor skin from? Uh, they were actually able to get it from my thighs. Um, of course, my ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, everywhere around my groin area. They even, take, they even took from my pubic area. They took um, my chest. My chest up here actually was not burned too bad. And they took a lot of skin from right here as well. Yeah. Yeah, those were the only places I was able to actually get skin from. And believe it or not, majority of my of my grafting was CEA. And you have to look at the medical term. I can't remember what CEA stands for, but it was my skin. My skin cells were used to grow my skin in a lab. Hey, everybody, future editor Jack here, and I wanted to uh, let you know that a CEA stands for a cultured epidermal autograph. These grafts provide a permanent skin replacement for patients with deep dermal or full thickness burns. The grafts are made by growing a patient's own skin cells in an incubator. The finished grafts will be used by surgeons to replace the outer layer or damaged skin. Thousands of burn patients have been treated successfully using this technique. Nick. All right, back to the show. Right, yeah. Yeah, and then that was placed, majority of it was on my arms and my back, actually, so. Yeah, Emily's uh, forearm, uh, that skin used to be on her butt, and she was joking there for a minute. She's like, so... If I fart, is my arm going to fill it? You know? (laughs) (laughs) But... What can be done in terms of skin grafting and everything? It it really is incredible, you know, what they can do. There are so many things now that I wish I didn't know. I, and I'm sure you're in that same. Oh, yeah. Even more than me, because you're the one that experienced it. Oh, yeah. Because you just, if you're not involved in it, 
it's not something that you are ever going to stop and think about. Like when they do a skin graft, they don't sew that new skin. It's just sort of sitting there wrapped around. They put it on you and kind of wrap it around and they use a lot of staples, a lot of, a lot of staples. On the dressings and everything, you know, that's sort of really what they staple in. And, and uh, whew, I just, golly. And then, yeah, I mean, in your case, they would have had to, your grafts and surgery would have taken a little bit longer because they did have to grow skin uh, from your cells. Yeah, I was, uh, I was in cadaver skin for probably about six weeks for quite a while. That's one of those things that you don't realize had happened. It, it took me eight months after my accident reading Kendra's journal to find out that I had cadaver skin on me. And then, of course, I had to go look up, okay, cadaver skin. Like, yeah. I found out what cadaver skin was. Not really pleased about that. Yeah. Have Have you ever seen where now they use um, fish skin? I have seen that where they try to use tilapia right. and stuff like that. Yeah, it's crazy. The fact that they can do that is amazing. And use cadaver skin. Well, even the CEAs growing my growing skin for my skin cells is like mind blowing. Um, not only that, my face my face was really burned really badly, and so was the top of my head. They use a spray resell on my face. Well, it clearly worked because your face doesn't yes. look uh, yes. does not look like sort of what people expect. It looks normal. I mean, your skin just looks normal. I mean, obviously there are a few spots, but yep. There's, yeah, you can see like the blotchiness and the red spots, that kind of stuff. But it, for considering how the rest of my body looks, my face looks great. <laughs> yeah, his, his eyebrows have grown back perfectly. His beard has grown back. Maybe that's because they put his, uh, his testicle skin on his chin. And so that's... No, that, <laughs> I have a story about that one. They were, okay. going to, they were going to use that skin from down there to do redo my eyelids because my face was burned that bad. Um, they were worried about my eyelids not shutting, my eyes not being able to shut. And because the skin is the same kind of thickness and like that skin down there, they were almost doing that. And I remember asking Dr. Wicker, dude, whatever you can, do not do that. Please do not take from there. That's like, I'm not burning there. Just don't do that. Just, can we leave it alone? I remember telling Kendra, I was like, you were willing to let them do that to me. You're willing to be with me cockeyed for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> that certainly would have given you a different nickname. <laughs> oh, it definitely would have. I definitely would not have felt dead coolish. I would have felt a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that that just goes to show they will use every and any part of your body they can to help, you know, fix what they can. Yeah, there's a there's a guy that in Iraqi freedom was in a an explosion and he was on fire and it was the only part of his body that wasn't burned was his taint. And that's his lips now. It, he's oh, actually he's become a comedian, and he jokes that that his wife can. How does he say it? She can kiss my balls, my ass, and my lips all at once. <laughs> but see, that, that's funny because my kids call me Dadpole, but Kendra calls me Gooch because I'm I'm that fine spot right between being a dickhead and being an asshole. So that's what she says. <laughs> But I, I joke with people because they, they did full sheet um, grafting on my hands. And I tell people, I don't know if that came from my groin area or my ass. So you may just touch my ass when we shook hands. Right, yeah. Yeah, the look on their face after that is pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me sort of move back on, get back in here. So how long did you end up staying there in the unit? This is where I feel blessed. Um, I was told that I would be in the unit until January of 2022. Um, and I made it out on September 30th of 21 still. So it was exactly 120 days from the date of my injury that I was able to come out of the hospital. And that was out of ICU and out of my two weeks in rehab. That's, that's incredible. But that hospital, that burn unit from the, from the people that mop the floor and bring you your food to the nurses, to the doctors, every single person that works there is top notch and obviously yep. you know you're you're um to use a phrase from one of my all-time favorite wrestlers uh mick foley your testicular fortitude is pretty uh pretty off the chart because <laughs> that's also part of it somebody that's in that is in a burn unit a large part of your recovery is you i mean oh yeah it so that you know tells you or tells me just how 
going through everything you were going through, but to still be like, no, nah, I'm getting out of this hospital. You know, the, I've never met Emily personally, uh, your daughter, but I will tell you this. I will make the, it's probably something I could tell you about her because it takes that in you to be able to get through this and get where you're, you know, through the recovery. Right. She's stubborn, isn't she? Yeah, she can be. Yeah. <laughs> she can be stubborn. Yes. Stubbornness is a big one. I mean, it doesn't seem like it, but the stubbornness was the biggest thing to help me through my recovery as well. I, I, I was too stubborn to give up. I was too stubborn to, you know, not try certain things. And like, it, that was a big thing behind it was my stubbornness. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, part of her deal was she wanted to get home to her dog. She was kind of pissed that they wouldn't let us bring her dog up to see her. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, I don't think that even if she was a trained service dog, just due to the nature of your unit that they would let her on. <laughs> No, because the biggest thing, it's not the burns that kill people, it's the infection. And that's the, they tell that to the families right away when it happens. Hey, you know, they survived this part of it, but the next couple months is going to be rough because it, it is the infections that, you know, get to us. And especially having such big openings, you know, from the burns and you're not having skin covered over it. It, it happens. It does happen. I, I fought off quite a few infections while I was in the hospital. I see you. I don't know if if it's something that you would be comfortable talking about, just because I know just the sheer amount of pain, but the wound care that you have to go through after the, the grass, the, the wound care is excruciating. The wound care is really unbearable. It wasn't for the amount of medicine they pump you up with. Yeah. I, I, I it, it, it's obviously something you can't go through. Um, they try to keep you awake through the first initial process of it, but it eventually comes too much. So what happens when you're burned like that, they have to scrape off a lot of the dead skin and keep your bandages fresh. So right. for me, I loved first thing in the morning, I loved being the first person in the tub room is what we called it. And they come load me up on this big metal bed and wheel me over to the tub room. And they lay you on there and they start spraying you with like a kitchen style sprayer. And, they, you know, they find the temperature of water that you can handle if you can fill it. And they start spraying you and removing these bandages. And because they're burns, these bandages, you know, the gauze and everything is sticking to your skin. So they're peeling it. And then, you know, there was the wound care between that and having to take off staples like I remember sitting there being awake for a hundred staples and I, the pain was just too unbearable. They had to knock me out. I woke up. I was like, how many did you get? They're like, I pulled about 400 staples oh today. Gosh. Yeah. And it was just, I remember screaming. I remember the screams. I remember um, being in that tub room. The echo is what got to me. Yeah. Yeah. It, hearing that myself echo in there, it was, yeah, it was horrible, man. That that it was a PTSD thing for me. Anytime I was in there, I knew it was coming. So yeah, I I can imagine. I seeing probably like the metal sort of tub or whatever would probably have to be pretty triggering for you at this point. <laughs> and the the other part of that wound care doesn't just end when you get home. You, as a matter of fact, being able to do your wound care is one of the things that gets you released. And then you have to do it when you get home and. That's not easy. The wound care is just not part of taking care of those actual things. It comes along with trying to get lotion on you too as well. Because right. being dried out and another part, what was another part of the wound care? Oh, the stretching. That was the hard part too. Yeah. Having to stretch because, yeah, everything wants to contract with the heat. Right. And and you also have to tr- cut off, you know, little bits of skin and everything. And, oh, man, that's... Yep. Yeah. If you want to go home, you have to be able to do that because it's not you're leaving the hospital and everything's going. That's still, you know, a long, long process in oh, yeah. your donor sites. You know, heck, Emily is what, a month away, a month and a half away from her initial deal. Her donor sites still aren't 100 percent healed. That tells you how long it takes. <laughs> yes. And its sites are still a little raw, too. Yeah. My donor sites still have like a red sheen to them and stuff. They have like a different color. My skin does. Um, one thing I'm blessed with, I, I don't have to deal with any open wounds. That is one thing I'm happy about. I haven't had to deal with it. My body has done such a good job of healing itself again to a point where I'm not worried about that aspect of it. Um, one thing that did suck was having to relearn to walk again. 
that was a hard one. Having to relearn to walk and feed myself because a lot of my treatment was having to stay still and just stay in that bed. Right, right. Yeah, um, I don't know if Emily had to deal with it, but when I had the CEA skin grafts on it, part of it is getting an antibiotic poured on me about every four to eight, like five hours. And they would just pour all my gauze, the open gauze on me. And it was cold because it had to be refrigerated. And that was like the worst because they would wake me up in the middle of the night twice to do that. Emily did not have to go through that. And yeah. um, this is going to sound sort of funny because um, I'm assuming that you had to go through a lot of hand physical therapy afterwards. She was supposed to go through uh, physical therapy on her hand. But as soon as they took all of the bandages off of her to where her fingers could move again, she started uh, playing with her Nintendo Switch. And she did it so much that she did not have to do physical therapy for her hand because of her Nintendo. <laughs> That's good occupational therapy right there, man. That was good the fingers. Yeah, yeah. And then she was also supposed to do physical therapy for her leg because, as you said, you know, everything wants to contract and things don't want to work right. And then, of course, you have to work working. But as a teenager, Emily did Scottish Highland dance. And so every time she stood up, she would go through the right leg moves and that sort of gave her physical therapy and she didn't have to do it for that because you were in the hospital for so long. And then your legs also, it was both legs and everything. So your wounds obviously were, you probably had to go through a pretty good amount of physical therapy when you got out of the hospital, I would imagine. I did. Even to this day, I'm still doing occupational therapy for my hands. Just trying to get my hands back. I had really bad contracting in my hands from it, from it getting so tight. So, but yeah, my legs being as burned as they were, um, when I woke up, it was three weeks after I had waken up after my accident, I was walking They had with help around the unit. And it wasn't, did my leg surgeries, I had to stay in bed for two weeks straight, 14 days straight. And when I came to stand up from that, I could not stand. I could not, I could barely take steps that, you know, I, it was, it was a struggle. I mean, trying to walk five feet or trying to get to anything, it was just a struggle. There's times getting out of bed where it hurt. The burns oh, hurt, yeah. but the, the donor site hurt more. Yeah. The donor's sites hurt so much. That's where a lot of my pain came from was my donor sites. And then, then taken from my buttocks area, it, yeah, it was a pain in the ass, literally. <laughs> well, yeah. And then it, it makes it hard. worse too, because it's your ass and you're laying in bed. There's no yep. way that you can't lay in bed and not have, you know, be sitting on your ass. <laughs> and, you know, so, yeah. Well, yeah, that, and then with the, with the gauze, it it sticks to you. And if your wounds were exposed a little bit, you would stick to the bed. Yeah. So getting out of the bed was like trying to peel me apart from it. And, oh, that was, so, that was a pain in its own as well. That was a whole different pain. Sort of moving on, this sort of, I don't the non-person that has been around somebody that's a burn survivor doesn't understand the, the now, like, hot things, just being around it can affect you. Have you gotten to where you can, like, cook on the stove or use the oven yet? Uh, I cook on the stove and use the oven quite a bit. I am actually happy last week on Sunday was my first time grilling hamburgers since my accident. And... That was really hard for me, especially since my accident was propane based and I love to use my propane and propane accessories. Right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that, that was a big step. Yeah, that was a huge step for me. Um, I started out with grilling like salmon and chicken, just the non-flammable stuff that doesn't right. flame up on you too much, right, yeah. the grease. Yeah. and But even when I was in, uh, when I was doing... Uh, what you call it, the rehabilitation to the hospital for those two weeks. My biggest thing was trying to, I want to cook for myself. So even while I was at the hospital, I was starting to try to use the stove. And a lot of it, it's scary as hell, man, but you have to adapt. You have to learn to adapt and find something that works. And I was trying everything. I was like, all right, I got big silicone oven mitts that went up past my elbows, wearing stuff that in the front something splashed me it's not going to go through my shirt fill it like boiling water I, I just took a lot of precautions and stuff and asked for a lot of help at first especially for my son and kendra asked him hey maybe dump that for me or drain this because a lot of it for me was i didn't have the strength to pick up the stuff off the stove right yeah 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 
So, but I, I started little, like with boiling water and making cups of noodles and stuff. But yeah, it's taken this much time for me to get where I'm at now. So yeah, yeah. Honestly, it would it would probably be more strange if it if you were like got home and you're immediately you know making a grilled cheese sandwich or something. <laughs> you know, to do that would <laughs> probably be be the anomaly. It's just so weird that I never thought I would be at a point in life where my daughter uh, texting me saying that she cooked something in the oven would make me cry, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, man, it's there's a lot of things that people, anybody takes for granted every day. Being able to wake up and, you know, move to the edge of your bed under your own power, to be able to reach down and, and scratch that itch you have. Don't take that stuff for granted because... You know, even the simple things is her making something in the oven. Don't take that stuff for granted because one day something might happen where you can't do that. And you're having a 30-year-old male nurse wipe your ass for you and you're not feeling comfortable about it. And you got to relearn to wipe your own ass and cook yourself and dress yourself. And, you know, there's a lot of things that I took for granted until my accident happened, man. And those little steps that she does and that she takes, if it makes you cry, that those are the best things. Those are the best things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it it's it's such a weird it's so weird because sort of as I stated earlier, the only people that understand are the other family members and the person that survived. Sort of, you know. And yep. then of course there's yep. slightly different understanding too, because you have a completely because you're the one that went through it. But for the family member who's there, it's also very traumatic. And the only people that really know are other people that went oh yeah and even being having family members close to you and then they weren't part of the accident but they're they'd start taking the precautions because of what happened to you i know you've experienced that since m's um accident taking certain precautions when it came to certain things candles and this and that and that's one thing that kendra was very cautious about since my accidents happened and you know, telling the kids, hey, if you hear the smoke alarm go off in the house, don't assume somebody's cooking and it's just going off. Always make sure that you're treating it like it's an emergency situation and you're observing, you're finding out what's happening and make sure right away that if it is an accident, if your sister forgot to put water in the mac and easy mac and cheese in the microwave and it's burning, that that's what you know what it is. And it's not a garage fire, this and that kind of thing, um, you know, just not being uh not being too easy about stuff. I grew up in a Hispanic household where my mom set off the, the smoke alarm almost every day when she was cooking, whether it was burning the tortillas or, you know, the pot of beans, the water was drying out and <laughs> they started burning, but you, you get so used to hearing that stuff. You don't react to it. And that's just one thing I've, I've been telling my family, do not do that. React to it. Like it's always an emergency. Just, you never know. You never know, man. Yeah. My, in my advice, I, I tell everybody, you have to have a kitchen fire extinguisher. If you grill yes. an outdoor fire extinguisher that you can get too quick to your grill, you know, don't, don't like in your case with a propane grill, when you go and turn it on, you make sure that it's up because if you turn it on and then try to ignite it, that crap can explode. Same thing. If you have a pellet grill, make sure yeah. the door is open. Yeah. I always tell, tell people everything, you know, even, a lot of people I know are use the space heaters. And I tell them, you careful what's around it. Make sure that you keep five, you know, five feet clearance around it. Something just touches it. It's going to start a fire. Like candles, candles is a big thing for me too. I love lighting candles. I love having my house smell good and that kind of thing. But it's scary to me. And there's other things now that I've acquired like a fear of because being in the burn community with other survivors, everybody's different. I've met people that were burned by a deep fryer at work. Um, one of my closest buddies now that I can call a friend, he was burned in a car accident. I met Chad out of Washington that was burned from a work accident that was electrical. Yeah. So like, yeah, there's just so many precautions now that, you know, I'm one of my kids outlet covers broke and it was by the bed and I was so fearful of something touching it, starting to fire to an electric now, you know, just, yeah, it, it, it's crazy. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, sort of getting back into it. Hello, Kendra. Uh, it's Jack from the podcast. He's on. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, so obviously, you know, when you're in the unit like that, they are pumping pain med 
pain meds in you that could kill Keith Richards. Oh, yes. One of the things that I was amazed at is, you know, within an hour and a half, she got enough pain meds that oh, would the normal person would have OD'd from. It, it was just like taking her from a 20 to a 19. And you obviously would have been in the same boat. So when you got out of the unit, were you still taking sort of the serious meds? And how long did it sort of take you to wean off of? Um, I started weaning off of the meds about two weeks before I left ICU. Is that right? Because I I initially wanted to quit cold turkey. And they're like, no, you can't do that. That's <laughs> too much for your body. And the reason I wanted to is because when I would go to feed myself, I was shaking so much from being on having so many opiates and stuff in my system. Like I, I, I literally felt like a crackhead, man. Like it was horrible. It was a bad feeling. Yeah. It takes the pain away from you, but it, it does something else to you that it's just, it's not, you don't feel like you're living. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And feeling feel a little bit of the pain how keep reminding me that I'm living still, you know, right, yeah. give me, I needed to feel the pain to get through my recovery and to get where I was physically, but I had them start winning me off. I think that first week that I left the hospital, I was on a small dosage of methadone a day. And then I finally weaned off of it within like a week. But I, yeah, I started in the hospital bringing down my, the amounts that I had in my body. Cause it was so much, yeah. even the ketamine, the ket, yeah. Cause the ketamine's horrible, man. You have ketamine trips. I don't know if M ever experienced that, or she could tell you about that. I don't know if she had trips. Whole... She was on ketamine, so yeah, they the tub room. When we talked about that, when they go to clean your wounds, they come in and they give you what is called the cocktail. The cocktail condone uh, consists of oxycodone, fentanyl, ketamine. I don't remember the other one. It was just a whole like kind of like a sedative. Yeah, like all sedative stuff, and that's what they would give you. And then when you're in the tub room, as the pain starts intensifying, they give you more. Like, all right, here you go. It's IV given to you. And it was ketamine. And then it would get to a point where it would get to a point where they're like, all right, you're in so much pain. Think good thoughts. You're gonna hallucinate. And yeah, within like two seconds, boom, I was hallucinating. And I remember those trips, which is just horrible. It's bad. I, I'm pretty sure I hung out with the Backstreet Boys in the office one time. That, that would be <laughs> awful having to hang out with the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> Not for me. I was jamming out to their music while oh, I was okay. in the tub room. Man. <laughs> it helped keep my feet dancing. Mind you, I was born in 86, so those 90s boy bands were my thing back then. But <laughs> um yeah, it was my jam. That's, that's what helped me get through. That's the music I remember dancing to while I was in the bed, like only a few days after my accident. But yeah, the I'm glad that I was able to get off those pain meds coming out of the hospital. Um, living in Colorado was a big help because I do use a lot of medical marijuana. Um, now, I used um, it to... Emily's, Emily's doctor said, hey, you might want to try this. <laughs> so, and... Yes. Yes, it it definitely helps. And in my opinion, I will throw hands on somebody that tries to tell me you are a person in yours or a similar situation doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, burn survivor. I will throw hands if you tell me that Oxycontin or fentanyl is better than weed. Oh, yeah, I will throw hands, too. I will. I've experienced both ends of them. And I rather I, I could I'll smoke a joint. I'll ease the pain and I'll sit there nice and calm. And I'll just get hungry. You take Oxycontin and you're taking enough to get rid of that pain. And you're sitting there itching and moving and can't sit still, you know, like there's certain side effects to everybody, but that was my side of it. That was my side effects. And I did not like it. I did yeah. not like that. I, yeah. I'd rather be calm and chill and it's natural. And that's another thing too, is because my kidneys took a big punch from being burned and being hurt. Um, in July, I actually, coded twice on the table during my back surgeries within a half hour of each other. I coded twice and that caused my kidneys to almost fail on me. And that did cause kidney problems with me. So I didn't want to be taking, you know, oxycodone all the time or, you know, taking fentanyl or taking anything any anytime. Cause I'm still trying to make my body parts inside recover as well too. Not just everything on the outside. Yeah, so yeah, yeah that um, I did use, I was going to say that's a good thing with the weed because 
another thing people don't realize is when you're recovering from that, the amount of food you have to eat to get the calories to help your body heal, you know, if it's making you hungry is is kind of a good thing because that food is a big part of the healing process. Yeah, because they, for me and my body, they wanted me to take in anywhere from 60 to 70 grams worth of protein a day. And it was over 3,500 calories a day. And trying to do that when you're in the ICU being food, uh, being tube fed for 16 hours <laughs> and then having all those, uh, opiates in your body that kind of don't make you hungry. <laughs> like it, it's, it's hard to reach that goal and reach that limit. But what, yeah, when I got out of the hospital, it definitely helped out a lot. It helped, uh, bring my appetite up, help with the pain. It was easier to manage than having to manage through, you know, 40 different types of pills. Yeah. And it, it helps you psychologically too. And it is such a difference to see, you know, what 10 minutes of like in this case, she would be having a problem and then she could go and do that and come back and she would be fine. And that's why I'm saying I will throw yes. on anybody that ever tells me that marijuana does not have medical use. Oh yeah. Cause it, it helps to a point too with your anxiety because the anxiety that comes from this type of injury is very easy to set on, especially being around heat or seeing other stuff. You know, I know when I would see like candles or reflection, that flame, it would set me off in a certain way. Right. Yeah. But having the chance to smoke, it would calm me down and bring me down and, you know, just, okay, now I'm in the now I'm right here. I'm good. And still be able to feel kind of functioning as well. Cause there was times especially after my surgeries for my hands when i'd come home and i was still dope up on the fentanyl and the painkillers i could not function i could not even speak but you know smoke a joint i I could still walk up the stairs not worry about falling and speak and yeah that kind of stuff but uh the biggest thing was the phoenix tears I, i i did uh 500 milligram droplets on my tongue for the first few months to help with my ptsd and that really helped out that that was a big thing I had to work my way up to the smoking part using the lighter, especially with my hands, my fingers, and the whole fire thing. But yeah, that I'm pretty happy about living in Colorado and having access to it, like I do medically. And because I think if I'd be on painkillers, that's actually the thing I've seen with uh, other burn survivors. They're still dealing being on painkillers and then fighting addictions from that too. Once again, it's Editor Jack from the future, and I know the audio here is kind of jumbled, and I basically wanted to clarify what I was saying, and it's that, you know, somebody that is a burn survivor, the pain meds that they're sent home with is is needed, but it is very easy for somebody, uh, when you're dealing with opioids, to become uh, an addict, and my point was that it wasn't, you know, just a situation uh, where they've been in the past where they were just overprescribed something. It uh, It is needed in the case of of a burn survivor. And I just wanted to clarify that since the audio is a smidge, smidge garbled. Anyway, back to the show. So. Yeah. It, and it's not like, you know, a lot of people will sort of get addicted to pain meds and it was maybe overprescribed. But somebody in your situation, you can't overprescribe that because you desperately need it. <laughs> you know? Yes. So. And yeah, yeah they were not, they were not shy about giving you big amount. Even after my surgeries, they're trying to give me like 30 pills and a couple refills with it. And it's like, no, nah, that's a lot. I don't need them. Even to the point where now when I go to my surgeries, I only ask them for about five or six in case I need them. Right. But yeah, that's, you know, it, yeah, I try to avoid those as much as possible. I've had the, uh, the late, the skin laser surgeries. Um, yes, I have experienced two that? of them. Do you want to, uh, yeah. So, the, yeah, the CO2 laser surgery is used to help bring down the texture <laughs> of, of the skin, of the skin grafts, it helps smooth them out, but it also helps with the elasticity, the nerve regeneration, because our nerves are shot from the grafts. I have a hard time feeling the heat or cold in my arms. Everywhere I'm burned, I have a really hard time feeling, uh, not just temperature, but just feeling in general. And you don't touch sweat. Touching stuff. And, yep, don't sweat. Yeah, that is a hard thing about it. 
but the laser surgery has helped my back to a point. Did you see M deal with a lot of itching in her arm? Uh, she in has. Her- yeah. Yeah. So that itching, it's on your back and it's like your whole back. It's just a horrible, horrible thing. After that laser surgery, probably about a month after it, I lost 80% of that itching. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The biggest thing with the laser surgeries, the CO2 laser surgeries, was uh, getting rid of about 80% of the itching in my back. Yeah. That was what I first experienced. That's good. Because, yeah, yeah. The itching, and once again, if you, that's why I wanted to talk to you, you know, about this. So that sort of the person that's never been through this might have some sort of an idea of, you know, not just the actual incident. Everything after that in your life has changed. It is different and it affects everything. Everything. Yep. Even my my driving, it's affected my driving, my sleeping, the way I shower, the way I dress, the way I, you know, put my shoes on. The way you get hot and cold because now you're thermal. The way you get hot and cold, yes. Yeah, it, it, it took a lot for me. That's the hardest part of dealing with it right now is knowing that, like, I can't be outside under the sun as long as I used to be able to stand. Right. You know, trying to do my my kids field day this last year was, it was a hard one, but I was able to withstand at least 30 minutes for each kid and then get out of there. Um, The sweating part is what sucks. That's with the heat, especially that's how your body cools down and it's very easily to get overheated during the summer. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I try to carry a spray bottle try to miss myself and give like a free, you know, fake sweat on my body. I've tried wearing like clothing that breathes a little bit more, but still blocks me from the sun. I've tried a lot of things. So. Yeah. We've, uh, we bought the, uh, what is it? The UV sort of, you know, sleeve gloves. And she puts that over yep. her arm, even though she does have the, uh, compression sleeves. Uh, and that's something, Oh man, your compression sleeve is probably almost more like a compression bodysuit. Yeah, mine is a compression bodysuit. It exactly is a bodysuit. <laughs> and it is black and red, thanks to Deadpool. That's right. with a color I chose on purpose. But my uh, my leg one pulls up all the way up to my belly button and then has suspenders that come over. Then I have a full body vest that covers my whole top torso. And I have full sleeves and full gloves for both hands. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> and that is a different fight on its own because it's so tight. Sometimes you need help putting it on, yeah. taking it off. I get stressed and winded. It's tight. You got to get used to it, especially wearing it for 23 hours a day. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, obviously you have more than one pair because you have to be able to wash them. But, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. Um, if you're if you're listening to this, just just know this. If you're out and about and you see somebody that is a burn survivor, because um, that's what you are. You are a survivor of it. That person has experienced and gone through more pain than probably 99% of the people in your life. And I understand that the skin afterwards can be odd or hard to look at, but just know that that person has gone through stuff and they don't need you to like, I guess, gawk or, or do whatever, you know, cause it is very difficult to go out in public afterwards because you know that it's it's different. That person is a badass. They're the biggest badass you're ever going to meet. And you need to, like, you know, pull the Wayne's world. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy bit because that person is a badass. So. Yep. <laughs> and you know what? I, I will tell people this, too. Teach your kids to ask questions. Kids are the curious ones. Kids are the ones that I don't mind staring at my scars and looking right. at me. And when that kid does, you finally meet that one kid that's not scared. They're like, hey, what happened? I'm more than happy to talk to them and tell them, hey, you know, yeah. I was burning a fire. This is what fire could do to you. You know, be safe, be careful, take care. And hopefully, maybe there's kids I've ran across that will lose that curiosity of, oh, let's play with fire. Because I know there's a lot of boys that go through that growing up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, but the biggest thing is those adults that just don't know how to act out in public and they will stare at you and they will gawk because that is something I'm still fighting with in myself, man. I fought yeah. to stay alive. I'm alive now, but now I'm starting to, I'm fighting to come to terms with what my body is now, what is different, what's different about it. And yeah. of course, you don't 
people don't realize what burn survivors go through or what happens because it's not that common around. I don't feel like it's a very common thing around, you know, certain groups of people, unless you know, you know, you're friends with a bunch of firefighters. I'm sure you've experienced it in that or oil rig stuff. But, you know, my family, my family, I've never met anybody burned while I was growing up. You know, nobody in my family has ever experienced that kind of thing. So it, it was even hard when I first came home from the hospitals. It was hard for my daughters to touch me yeah. because of how I look, you know, that, and a lot and of, it, was, of it, they probably were afraid that they would, you know, cause you pain or hurt pain. you at the exactly. same time. Yep. So, so it's a combination of the two. Yes, it so, is. But sort of what we were talking about before we started recording, the fact that your kids call you uh, dad pool. Uh, because your skin kind of has the you know look of Deadpool is a good sign that they are accepting and you know their psychological aspect is healing as well. So it is too, and it, it also, like I said, brings that hero aspect into it. Where hey, my dad survived this; he's still here, and it you know that I feel like a hero. I feel almost something that you know of a different power that no regular human has because. Going through this was really horrible. It was bad. Yeah. Like I, I said before, too, I, although this accident happened to me, I'm glad out of my coworkers, it was me that it happened to, because I don't know if any of them would have been able to get through it like I did, you know? So, yeah, yeah. that it's got to be a weird thing to think that it, it is a weird thing to think that. But, you know, I, I was working with the, I had a, I had a wide variety of coworkers that I worked with. And I just, like I said, I, my mindset, my stubbornness and how I am and how, who I was, I feel like that's what kept me alive through this. So yeah. you definitely have, a, as I said earlier, pretty, pretty decent amount of testicular fortitude. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so hard to just know what someone has gone through and Hollywood doesn't, everyone has, they think that how Hollywood portrays a, a burn is what it's like. And it's not, <laughs> uh, which no, it's not, it's nothing close. That's another thing, too, is you don't realize how much fire is around once you have this kind of accident, too. Listening to music, you hear it in a lot of songs, you hear it in a lot of, you see it in a lot of movies, TV shows. Like, sit down and watch TV for an hour and tell me how many times you saw an explosion, you saw fire, you saw something happen, and it, it happens all the time. And I didn't realize that until this accident. So it's just kind of eye-opening, too, in this this stuff happened. Does that affect you if you are watching something and there's like an explosion or something like that? Do you have to stop the movie? Do you fast forward through it or leave the room? You know what? Like I said from the beginning, I, um, I'm almost blessed, man, from where I've where I'm at right now with my injury and how far out I am, or how far I'm not out from it. I'm coming up on my two year anniversary in June, and since I experienced that traumatic accident and I was diagnosed with PTSD. I am experiencing PTG, post-traumatic growth. And so I, I had fears of that stuff, but I always wanted to keep exposing myself to it because I, I would feel more like a victim if I let it pick over me. You know what I mean? Well, it, and part it of being that survivor. Yeah. It, it's, not, it's not like that off. If you purposely kind of avoid it, then it becomes the norm. And you don't yep. want it to be the norm because once it becomes the norm, it's harder to break out of it. Yep. And I was trying to get back to my original norm. You know, I want to get back to where I was before and I have those fears and that kind of thing. And I think it was like three months after being home from the hospital. And I told Kendra, I want to watch Firestarter. With now, Drew see, that is diving into the deep end of the pool right there. <laughs> and she's like, she goes, you really want to watch that? And I was like, yeah, I want to watch it. Like, I want to face these fears. You know, I don't want to be... I don't want to have my peripheral vision see a flicker of gold and panic to fire right away. I want to be able to look and observe and see if it's at, you know, wind time, catching the sun glare a certain way. Or, you know, I just don't want that onset panic right away. So I, I've, I've had to face it a lot. And that's what's helped me. That's what's helped me. Yeah. But at first, that stuff definitely did affect me. It definitely did affect me. Yeah, yeah. And you're definitely proof positive that your your mental attitude in your mindset is a huge part of the healing process it is in terms of any injury not just you know what you've gone through it doesn't matter if you were you know shot a car ran over you your snowplow accidentally runs over you a la jeremy renner 
<laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> your your mindset is a huge, huge factor in uh, not only the healing while you're in the hospital, but your mental and all the healing that you you have to do afterwards. Because this is a, a multi year healing process, the journey that you're. On. Oh yes, I still have a lot of years ahead of me to try to get to where I was before and strength back and that kind of thing. But uh, it it I know I make it sound like oh yeah I did this and that and I've done good, but it's hard. It's it's hard, man. You have to have that mentality when you're in the hospital that, yeah, this is painful. But the more I do my physical therapy and my occupational therapy, the more you're going to succeed. The biggest thing that I tell burn survivors now when I meet them is to put time in between your accident, your injury, and where you're at now. The more time you put between it is the more success in yourself you're going to see, the more progress in yourself you're going to see. Because I was in the hospital even two weeks before I was getting ready to get out. It was hard to look back and see where I was. And, you know, I'm not this yet. I'm not this yet. I'm not that. I, I had to look from the first day. Okay, do you remember when you couldn't walk? Like, now you're walking, you're taking steps. Now you could use a cane. I remember on Thanksgiving, I gave up the cane. I, you know, you have to put the time between it, man. Like I said, I, I look back now where I was last year, and I've made huge steps. I've made huge steps oh, and that's where I see the biggest progress. Even the progress I've made in the last three months, it's not as much as what I could see that feels as good as looking back a year. So right. putting that time between it is, it, it's going to help. Yeah. And we'll remember being scared of using the oven and she'll remember the first day she used the oven. And then one day she's going to be using it. She's going to be like, oh, yeah, I just used it and forget about that. You know, and yeah. those are the days that count. Those are the days that keep you kicking. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's, it's the small victories that keep you moving forward. And you have to recognize that in, you know, in a lot of situations traumatic like that, all victories, no matter how small are, are important. Uh, oh yeah. And there's battles that you will have that you will not win every day. And those are those days that you need to take that loss and take that out and just keep pushing. You know, I, I'll, I'll keep winning battles, but I'm trying to win the war, man. So I, I never, I'm a veteran. Um, uh, I was not a Marine, but the Marine Corps does have the saying of embrace the suck. And I never, I got it, but I never got it, got it, <laughs> you know, until I was in the, you know, in the room with M. And then it's like, that's all you could do. You, you almost have to reach out and hug the suck just so you can take that next step. Yep. And that's kind of what you're saying. You, you've embraced the suck. <laughs> I have. I definitely have. There's day, I, I, days I had to take steps I didn't want to take man it was hard there's, there's days especially knowing I had to peel myself off the bed literally like there's times I just did not want to do it but I can't tell myself you got to do it because you will get yourself somewhere you know yeah. you're not going to I don't want to be a victim I did not want to be a victim yeah um M says that she would like her goal is to make the fire her bitch oh yeah and I, I it's you've had that same <laughs> obviously that yep. same uh attitude so, yep. I'm, yeah, I'm not a victim of the fire. The fire, you know, I'm not going to be the fire's bitch. I'm going to make the fire my bitch. You know, that's exactly what it comes down to, man. And yeah, that that's all you can do. That's the well. I mean, that's not all, I guess, but that's that's the attitude to have. That okay, this horrible thing happened to me, and going to all I can do is just take the next step forward. It just this is me now, and this is my steps I got to take, and I have no choice. I got to move forward. Yep, so, that's how I've done it. You know, especially with the cooking, I have burned myself cooking since my accident and at first I, I panic and I freak out but now it's just starting to happen and I'm getting used to it again you know <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. nice it's nice to have some feeling back in my hands <laughs> yeah 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 and that that's got to be the weird thing too because the way the ways the nerves regenerate after all of that is so weird it, it takes a long time it takes a long time I still to this day can't feel my four-month-old daughter drooling down my arm uh, sometimes the kids sneak up on me and they sit there and they're touching my legs and I don't even notice it because right. I can't feel it. But my hand, my left hand has made an improvement. I can, I'm feeling the heat. I can feel the cold. I'm still working on that with my right hand. The most important thing though, in terms of the healing of your hand, are you able to flip people off? Yes. Okay. We'll see. I am that, now. That is, I am that now. is you're healed. <laughs> when I got out, my right hand, I, I couldn't even hold a pop can with my right hand when I got out of the hospital because it hit my fingers. It contracted so much. Oh, and I hate it because it's my right hand and I'm right hand dominant. And so like 
part of my OT, I was trying to flip people off left-handed, but I kept working on my right hand, trying to get it where it's at. And I went from my hand being stuck like this to being able to be yeah, where it's at now. He's he's going through the whole, you can't see. Cause see he's he's yeah. Audio medium, medium but he's yes. moving his hand around and, and all of that. But I'm showing you so you know where it's at, you know, being able yeah. to have that dexterity in my fingers again. And now I can finally put that finger up. It's, you know, I flip the fire back off because I'm get, I'm getting I'm getting somewhere. Well, you need Just to take seven to, surgeries. <laughs> you need to be able to do that. So when those idiotic adults are staring at you, you can tell them how you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, especially here in Colorado when all these Texans come through. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know how to drive in the snow. <laughs> that, is, that is true. Uh, <laughs> when, when we were there with Imsdale, I think in the the two weeks I was there, I experienced more snow than the entire like five years prior where I live in Oklahoma city. So <laughs> yeah, the snow appears something else, man. You yeah. can see all the Texas plates and Colorado starting to become California. Everybody's transplanting here and oh yeah. Well, <laughs> um, we, we've been at it for a while here. And one thing I do, well, I'm going to say this and then if, give it to you. If there's anything else that you would want anybody to know before we sort of sign off, whatever, like severe injury or trauma that you have had, don't get in the comparison game with someone else. Whatever the worst thing that has happened to you is, it's the worst thing that has happened to you. It doesn't matter if it, you might be lucky and the worst thing that's ever happened is a, a paper cut or, you know, you've broke a bone or whatever the worst thing that has happened to you, it's the worst thing that has happened to you. And don't ever compare yourself to what somebody else has gone through. Now, that being said, two people that have had similar sort of injuries, you can sort of talk and compare. Oh, yeah, this is what, oh, and I went through that and this sucked. You know, but don't sit there and think to yourself, well, I only broke my arm and this person, you know, broke both of their arms. No, if that's the worst thing that's happened to you, you have to not compare. You have to accept it and then move forward with whatever the worst thing that has happened to you. It's not a comparison game. So if you want to uh, go ahead and anything else that you would like to to tell people uh, before we sign off, um, give it over to you. Yeah, um, going off of what you said about comparing, um, being part of the burn survivor world, I have had the pleasure of meeting other burn survivors. Um, I will share this podcast with them to let them hear it and stuff, but there's been times where we've been around each other and we compare. And I've met people that were 20% burned, 30% burned, 40% burned. I know somebody that is 99% burned. And there's the times where we try to compare, oh, man, well, you know, I have the 20% guy say, mine's not as bad as yours, you know. But you can't say that. You were still burned. No matter what that percentage was, you were still burned. You still went through something traumatic, you know. Being a peer support and talking to the other burn survivors, that's one thing I do tell them. You know, don't try to compare what yours is to mine or this or that. We're going through the same stuff. You know, some of our directions may be a little bit different, but we're still climbing up around the same mountain, you know, so. Yeah, the the path to recovery is a 10% burns, 99% burn. It's just the length of the journey, but it's all very, very painful and a multi-year process that, that you're going to go through, both mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. But uh, yeah, when I'm talking compare, obviously you're going to have similar experiences, but don't sit there and say, well, mine was this and yours was way worse. It's the worst thing you went through. Yep. It doesn't matter, <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's still a bad thing. I really appreciate you coming on. I know that it's sort of weird talking about it as both uh, healing, but at the same time hard to do because you have to relive you know, what you went through. So I know that talking about it isn't necessarily the easiest thing in the world. And um, I'm really honored and humbled that you chose to come on here and talk about your journey that you've been on. I know that there's tons more, you know, that that you've gone through and could have shared, but uh, I understand, you know, we only have a, a limited amount of time, but B, I can understand why you don't want to necessarily share everything. So I, I really, really do appreciate you coming on. And I hope my my listeners are able to just understand whatever happens. You just got to put your next foot for, you know, your foot forward and just take that next step. And it can be horrible and it can be bad, 
but you can get through it and you know you can get through it yeah and what makes it easy talking about it is being able to help other people get through stuff man that they're going through you know yeah. yeah. If you're not, even if you're not burned and you're not going through that, if you're going through something hard in your life, it gets easier. Take, keep taking steps forward. Don't give up. Don't become a victim to anything, to anything. Yeah. Yep. That's, that is 100% true. I have to say, I'm, I'm glad that we've become Facebook friends. And uh, even when you, you know, send me TikToks that people outside of sort of our community might not find as funny as, <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah i'm sure you went through my tiktok page you'll see there's a few in there <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um anyway uh once again i i really do appreciate you uh coming on uh i'm honored and humbled that you, you came on so thank you i really appreciate it yeah i have a feeling that uh fate put us together man yeah yeah at its it, joint so I, you know i i enjoy your crack and your humors on facebook and talking to you and stuff and answering your questions when you do have them too so yeah Yeah, my goal on facebook is generally speaking to make someone have a laugh even if it's just like a you know (laughs) you know sort of 10 second laugh that can make your day a little better and then there are just sometimes where things happen and i just get irritated and i have to go all serious it's always random i'll have like eight memes and then a serious post i can't believe and then 25 memes that are funny again but (laughs) hey as long as you get the laughs in there that's what life's about man you gotta laugh at everything yeah so um i'm gonna go ahead and uh sign off and i I end all of my podcasts like this i know that it's something that because i lean more towards asshole than not asshole that i typically am not good at doing (laughs) but just remember everybody try to live your life in a way That would make Bob Ross proud. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, please hit the subscribe or follow button.